Welcome, welcome, welcome. Sweet Jesus, I'm excited about this week's guest. This is episode 61, and this week's guest is, you know, I mentioned this to him, he's probably my favourite comic book writer of all time. And that's tough, because I've had two people on already who would challenge that. You know, Garth Ennis and Alan Moore, um, Warren Ellis, sorry, (laughs) Warren Ellis and Alan Moore, come you know could challenge that regularly there's been points that they've all been at the top but I think consistently over recent years or if you look at my collection in fact if you look at my collection I've got all of Preacher I've got all of the boys I've got the majority of Crossed um and I've got a lot of his his I've got all of the all of the the Punisher Max runs so so for complete complete runs I'd say for me no one can compete with Mr Garth Ennis um yeah, it was a really good chat. I should do the little plug now of Distraction Pieces, not Distraction Pieces, of, of speechdevelopmentrecords.com. You can go on there and you can buy something that we discuss in this in this here interview, my graphic novel of poetry, poet, p- poetry in emotion. Um, it was something I put together with a load of really talented artists who were all fans. This was back in the MySpace day. I started to source this and then through tw- Twitter and Facebook, it was a good three four years in the making and we put together uh, yeah a graphic novel of, of of individual poems a story each one and it was a, a beautiful collection um you can buy that you might enjoy it I was gutted as soon as I realized as soon as it came up in conversation and I hadn't brought one along to give to give to Garth um heartbreaking but yeah check us out speechfilmandrecords.com but we had a lovely chat. I, I met up um, in... He, he was so kind to give me a little bit of time in a brief trip to London. We'd organised it a month or so in advance. So it's it's ones like that that you're always prepared that they, they're they likely to fall apart or might not happen. I'd, I'd never met Garth before. All we'd done was discuss in very brief emails that we should do this. It was, you know, put together... F- by Warren Ellis and, you know, having the seal of approval of Warren Ellis and Alan Moore and people like that kind of got me in that door, I think. So, I mean, it's a long one. I should shut the fuck up and just let you listen. This is Distraction Pieces, episode 61 with Garth Ennis. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction And we're rolling. I've I've begun. I've, I've I've never figured out how to start a podcast. They just kind of happen. Um, I'm joined by Garth Ennis today. How are you? Pretty good. How about you? I'm I'm, I'm great. I'm very excited to be here. Um, you're someone who people have requested a lot, and I've been keen to dig it on. And but I won't fanboy out too much at the start. We'll get through some of that as we go. But. How are you today? We're in London. Um, you've you've managed to squeeze some time out for me, so I appreciate that. How are you enjoying your visit? Uh, good so far. I uh, went to a wedding yesterday. Got to go to see Cy Spurrier get married. Amazing. Uh, went saw him off in fine style, and uh, yeah. now just and enjoying how are you London because of it. Are you in? Not too bad. <laughs> you know, slightly jet lagged anyway because I, I flew through the day on Friday, yeah. which is weird. You're you're up at you know some ungodly hour, but. Yeah, you end up jet lagged one way or the other, so yeah, no you point. You can push to, can push through that. Yeah, I've I've always maintained I've I, I don't drink much anymore 
But when I used to drink, I didn't really get hangovers. But I've always maintained that hangovers as much as anything are the fact that you're up till 3, 4am drinking rather than necessarily just the, the effect of alcohol. So, you know, the jet lag, if you're already a bit off centre, then, mm. you know, it all blends into one. It doesn't really... It doesn't really make a difference, I'd imagine. Uh, hopefully I'm not too fuzzy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's perfect. So um, I'd like to kind of start at the beginning. Um, gr- growing up in, in, in Northern Ireland mm-hmm. in, 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 in the 70s, uh, mm-hmm. we had, I've had Michael Smiley on recently, who also grew up in, in, in it is Hollywood, you, in, in, in Northern Ireland. That's you, right. From originally. Is that where you grew up or did you? Uh, I grew up in Hollywood. I'm, I'm originally from Belfast, but we, we moved to Hollywood when I was, um, when I was very young. It's, uh, it's where my dad came from originally. Yeah. Um, it's about three or four miles down the, the shore of Belfast Loch from yeah. the city itself. It's, it's a nice place to grow up. Yeah. It's maybe the kind of place that when you're a kid, when you're a teenager, you might think is a little quiet, but actually you grow up and see a bit of the world and you realise how lucky you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To have that slightly away from things, slightly more Peace community. And quiet. Yeah. Yeah, and a chance to sort of, you know, grow up without too many undue unpleasant influences yeah yeah know. i mean that's 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 a huge advantage i'd yes. imagine um yes it is obviously a northern island at, at, at that time um as the 70s yeah or yeah as, as as you were growing up i guess how, how was the 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 feeling uh where you were living around that time with everything that was going on obviously the troubles and mm. how, how was that as an atmosphere to to grow up in or were you even aware of it, really? At that? I was aware of it. Everyone was aware of it. Um, I had never known the country without it. Yeah. My parents' generation, on the yeah. other hand, they they grew up largely without it. You know, understanding that there was a tension that that at one point the tension had been um, more extreme, but um, for them, the troubles came as something of a surprise they they saw the country the province sort of slide into it yeah and uh for years afterwards my dad said he was still kind of stunned that it had gone the way that it had yeah if you told him in the 50s or 60s that it was going to happen he would have laughed yeah so would most of his generation it seemed like as from again from what I've, i've i've read on it and researched myself it seemed like a gradual slide, but then a, v- a very sudden turn. Yes. So that kind of, it's it's like, it seemed to be going that way for ages, but no one really thought it would go that way. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is, this is happening now. Yes. This is, this is how our lives are for the, that's right. For some time. Um, it is, it is surprising and depressing how quickly people can get used to living yeah. like that. And yeah. um, rather than, Rather than making a, a search for a solution, their goal, uh, they just figure out ways to live with it, yeah. um, to normalise it. Yeah. So I grew up on, on the edge of what's been called the Troubles. Um, my upbringing was really one that most people would recognise with, with an odd bit in the corner. If I, if I say middle-class suburb, whatever you've got in your head right now is where I grew up. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. You were aware that something was was slightly off. Um, you would see the army patrolling the streets when you went into Belfast. Uh, there were security checkpoints. 
there were areas that vehicles, except for buses and so on, couldn't get into. There was the political situation you heard about constantly on the radio. But the the hardcore reality of the troubles, and this is something I'm always careful to emphasize, was not my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's something I grew up on the edge of. Um, it's it's amazing how how as you kind of touched on how almost easily life goes on mm-hmm. in those in, in in those situations and the more you hear I had um, a a um, a refugee um, from the Democratic Republic of Congo um, mm-hmm. on the podcast and we were discussing how it's strange how it can literally like there was a large period of her life where it was hor- horrific things going on in the next town, mm-hmm. essentially. But mm-hmm. it was in the next town, and it wasn't a reality yet, Cunning. So, and it's hard for us um, in the UK at the moment now to imagine that kind of distance in the mm-hmm. way we're so much urged to be so empathetic em- empathetic towards everything going on in the mm-hmm. world. It's, it's, it's amazing how that... N- not that there's anything wrong with it, but that, how that can be, can be the opposite as well. It can be that close and it not be a huge, you well, know, it's, it's just, thing f- for you to go through personally. Yes, I think it's just a question of practical survival. I yeah. mean, uh, your interviewee from the Congo, I mean, uh, her obvious priority would have would have been to go nowhere near that yeah, next village. Yeah, yeah uh, just, exactly. Just in terms of self-preservation. Um, yeah, people will deal with what's directly in front of their noses. Yeah. And um, it's hard to condemn them for that. Yeah, no, really. Uh, these, completely. These... Uh, these situations uh, are gargantuan. Yeah, they really are, yeah. and the solutions to them seem millions of miles away. Uh, that was how things were for the seventies, eighties, early nineties. Um, there was simply a sense it would go on forever. Yeah. Um, of course, we know now that a uh, number of outside influences, the British and Irish governments. Um, even the American government uh, came into play and managed to halt things Ex- just long enough, the, yeah. just long enough for for investment and so on. Yeah. So that so that people could be given a choice, you know, carry on the old way or see what you'll get a taste of if you stop this. Yeah. Yeah. And enough of them stopped it long enough for a sort of a fudge solution to be hammered out. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how how um, you know at, at what age or, or were they as as a youth? Were a comic books directly mm. in, in front of your face, in front of your nose, distracting you, escaping, or or simply just adding uh, some 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 flavour to your to um, your life as a as a child? Pretty much from from the get go, really. I mean, I read the Beano as a little kid. Yeah. We had uh, distribution of mainstream. UK publishers' titles, uh, IPC and DC yep. Thompson. Yep. So we got all of those. Um, I believe that there was uh, some distribution of the British reprint of the Marvel material where yep. they rendered it in black and white, chopped it up into, uh, chopped those books up into sort of three or four page episodes and created a British weekly anthology yeah. just yeah. to follow the local model. I didn't really see those. Yeah. 
And I certainly saw very, very few American comic books. Yeah. They were available here and there. Um, John McRae, who, you know, I've done so much work with, he was very keen on them and he would cycle all over his part of Belfast, visiting as many news agents as possible. And he managed to sort of cull what what there was. Yeah, I I, I love that. The reality of how things like that used to be, where you'd have to go from news agents yeah. to news agents, or make talk. Actually, this sounds crazy in the internet world, but talk to your news agent and say, "Can you get this? In? Yeah. Can I order this? Can I, you know, to have that access to such things?" It's, mm. it's it seems like s- such a forgotten time, but yes. you'd have to put that that effort into searching to for find these collections. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, but for me, there was never any question of that. I, I really just went with what was uh, what was under my nose, you know, what was on the shelves yeah. or what I could order uh, from the newsagent. And that meant, uh, it meant 2000 AD and battle and to an extent action. Uh, it meant warlord, I suppose, victor. Um, yeah. And it also meant the, the picture libraries, things like war and battle picture library, commando, yeah. things like that. All the stuff that was available from those mainstream publishers, that was, that was what I found. Um, I should say that it wasn't so much a distraction from reality. You know, I should emphasize again that uh, the, the troubles, the turmoil that was going on wasn't enough of a part of my life that I needed to seek solace. Yeah, yeah. In these things, so I was really like any other British kid. Yeah, no, uh, I, I've always, I, I've always felt with cinema and comics in general, w- I've never liked the idea. Even though I literally just did that, I've never liked the idea of referring to them as a distraction from reality. Mm-hmm. They enrich my reality. Mm-hmm. They're, they're part of my. Re- it's not a distraction. It's not. Mm-hmm. Oh, I need to forget about things. It's like I want this to be an active part of my reality yeah. and my enjoyment. And do you feel the? Things like the Beano and the Dandy get enough credit because certainly that was in the UK a huge starting point and a huge, hugely circulated thing of comics. But because mm-hmm. it was, as you said, c- c- collections, a weekly thing, it kind of doesn't feel. I don't know. It, it, it feels as if there's not as much a respect given to the work that was done there. I, I think there is a. A degree of respect given, um, certainly by you know comics historians and researchers yeah. and so on. Yeah, and people are aware of them. the The trouble I think comes when you. It's not that you can pay them too much respect. Yeah, it's just what form that takes. If you take a collection of old Beano strips, yeah, pick any character and put. Uh, a couple of hundred weekly episodes under one cover. Well, what you'll find is a, a great idea for a character and a formulaic story repeated over and over and yeah, over again yeah. forever. So it's not as if by sitting through 200 episodes of this, you are somehow uh, more respectful yeah, of yeah, it than yeah. otherwise. It's, 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 it's true. It, it kind of also, it benefits from the uh, restrictions that were upon it. You've, you've, you've got this much space to, to tell a story mm-hmm. But you need to tell a story every week mm-hmm. that's standalone, that isn't a continuing yes. n- narrative. I mean, here. this this was important. This was great stuff. Uh, some some great cartoonists worked on it. Yeah. Um, but I think that I think that it wasn't really until the seventies 
that you saw people start to break away from that formula yeah. and go in for longer stories that developed characters yeah. um, to, a, to a little, well, actually to any extent that, that where there was character development, where, yeah. where the world changed, the character's life changed. Yeah, completely. Um, well, it, was, it was the turning point where it was more openly acknowledged, I think, that comics could be targeted not just towards children. I feel it was always underlined because I feel comics have obviously b- been used as social commentary, as mm. all sorts of other stuff, but it feels that when they went to longer stories and things like that, it was more going, no, it's it's okay. Like, we don't have to hide it in any way. This is this is it's yeah. fine to... I mean, a very I gradual think. process, I yeah. think. I think in the 70s what you see is... Um, you see people just realising that there will be an audience for yeah. something with a bit more meat. Yeah. Uh, the idea of actually marketing comics to an older audience, I don't think that comes then. Uh, I think it comes a later. bit later. Yeah. Uh, you, you build up to it gradually. You you have Pat Mills and John Wagner creating Battle. Yeah. And then Action, and then 2080, and that lays the groundwork for that. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that more than one reader has commented on, you know, maybe finding their dad reading their 2008. Yeah. I remember my dad enjoying yeah. some of the stuff. And I, I realize now that what he was picking up on was uh, some of the crazier elements in Judge Dredd, some of the satirical stuff, yeah. some of the artwork. Yeah. Uh, but we're at, we're still, if we're talking about the 70s, we're still at an embryonic phase. Yeah, of course. Um, it, it'll take a little while longer, I think, or it took a little while longer bef- before you were ready to actually say, we are now marketing comics to adults. Yeah. Um, it's a gradual phase. I mean, I would point to 2008. I would point to Charlie's War in Battle right. in particular. Yeah. Um, before then, you're seeing flashes. Yeah, you know. of course. So uh, at what point did you kind of d- decide that you wanted to to, to write in... In, in, in that area because I guess kind of when you first started with um, uh, what's this tr- 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 Troubled Souls and yeah. this, it was just around that point that that turn had been made yeah. that it was going right we can write adult stories about serious issues yeah. um, so w- w- was that a case of just of nice t- 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 timing essentially that you suddenly write suddenly the doors opened wider yeah. I need to write in this in well, this context. For me, it was for me it was it was um, uh, it was enormous good fortune really. Uh, when I decided uh, that I wanted to write comics, I think I, I had the idea I wanted to work in them. Yeah. Uh, from my early teens, but I I didn't understand the mechanics of it at all. Yeah. I I had no grasp of that. Um. Then things started to happen fairly fast in the late 80s. Uh, you had things like Watchmen and Dark Knight. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of material coming over from America. At that point, I did start to look at it. The distribution was getting a little better. You would yep. see actual collections, what are called graphic novels in bookshops. I found it easier to to get the material. Uh, and I, I began to understand the process of comic script writing. Right, yeah. And that was when I thought, ah, that is what I want to do. Yeah, again, it's, it's seeing b- 
behind the lines as such of yeah. going right this is there's this, this, is how this didn't done. just appear here there's this, right. there was a process that made this you know at first you're just looking at these comics and all you care about is this is in front of me this is amazing yeah. then realizing that right there was a process to get to this point and i think it can't be um over or yeah over hyped on how big a watchman's impact Huge. was in 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 that kind of right this can be an in-depth adult thing i remember i i got it years later i only i was, I was born in the 80s but just when i heard that there was a graphic novel in in time magazine's top 100 right. novels i was like but it's it's a comic is and, and instantly that was like right, i need to need to look at this and as soon mm-hmm. as you saw it you saw why it was not just a comic as such and yeah, yeah. It it was, to be honest, something of a false dawn. Yeah. Because what had happened was Watchmen and Dark Knight and Mouse had hit all at once in the mid-80s. Right. And the collected editions had penetrated the mainstream. Yeah. So you were out of that traditional comic reader yeah. audience and you were into a mainstream audience that um, would really... C- c- consider these graphic novels as being as valid as any other form. Yeah. The problem came uh, when when publishers assumed that just because people would pick up a trade paperback or a graphic novel or whatever you want to call it, where you get the whole story yeah. in one go, that therefore they could be persuaded to behave like a comic reading audience and pick up a weekly or a monthly yeah. serial. Uh, in the British case, a weekly or bi-weekly or monthly anthology. Yeah. And that audience simply would not do that. I mean, I'd say it's, it's still a struggle now. Genuinely, it is. It's, it's still really... Um, I really enjoyed when um, Titan started doing their monthly um, segments from numerous things that they had on the go continuing mm-hmm. on because it felt like a return to... But again, it didn't really get grabbed too tightly or too... No. Too, too well embraced in that way because and i'm guilty of it it myself i love to grab a nice thick book yep. and go off and read it and yep. and not have that patience to be waiting that's right each time i guess and uh you know a mainstream audience really won't do it they won't go to a specialist store month yep. in month out um british comics find that out the hard way uh they spun crisis out of 2000 ad Mm-hmm. thinking they would take the 2000 AD audience with them. They did for the first couple of issues, and then it fell off yeah, rapidly. Yeah. Uh, that was more or less where I came in. And it was over the following year, year and a half, that people realized that, that audience was ex- the audience that would pick this stuff up was extremely limited. Uh, Revolver didn't even last six months. Wow. Um, crisis bumbled along a couple more years. Deadline... Deadline never sold that well, but it had a huge cultural impact. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, of course, the, the the one survivor of those days is the Judge Dredd magazine. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was in this period of what I've called a, a false dawn that, that I got my break. And it coincided with me leaving school, understanding how comics worked and how, yep. and how the scripts were done. Uh, and... Um, having kind of a bad time at university, just really being being fed up with, I suppose, being taught. Yeah. 
uh, and wanting to do something else, something new with my life, and having this opportunity. Yeah, uh, it was a very happy coincidence, and and even though maybe it maybe it was an odd time for comics. Yeah, it it hit for me at just the right Perfectly. point. What was the actual in an opportunity? Was it a, something that you chased, or something that just came along? Or when they launched Crisis, Fleetway sent a bunch of the writers and artists on tour. Right. And they came to Belfast to do a signing at uh, what was then the Talisman, run by uh, a couple of friends of mine and is now Forbidden Planet Belfast. And that was where I met people like Pat Mills and Carlos Esquerra and most importantly, Steve McManus, who was the editor at the time. And I chatted to him briefly uh, about what they were looking for. uh, And I suggested the story about the Northern Ireland Troubles, and he said, that's exactly what we're looking for. Yeah. So I wrote something up, wrote up an outline, sent it off, uh, didn't hear anything. On my 19th birthday, I called the office, expecting to get nowhere, Yeah. and was told, oh, yeah, yeah, we like that. We wanted to call you about that, actually. And I mean, that's not the response you, you could have ever been expecting. No. If you're chasing them up, then go... I'm glad you called. Yes. <laughs> He's expecting to, to be hung up on or put in. Yes. Good meaning to get back to you. Exactly. <laughs> and a couple of weeks later, um, John McRae and I flew over from Belfast to London and we went to the Fleetway office and we sat and we chatted to Steve McManus and Igor Goldkind all day and basically, I suppose, went really went through the story with... Uh, scene by scene almost and i guess we convinced them yeah that uh, that we were what they wanted um what we didn't know was at that time was that crisis was in uh well as i said the seals had fallen off quite dramatically well, they were in crisis they were, essentially yeah, they were they were doing less less than half of what they'd started with yeah uh and they reckoned they needed something new they cut one of the stories and then they put two smaller ones in right. instead of it. And one of the smaller ones was was uh, Troubled Souls, which John yeah. and I did. Yeah, amazing. So so how was that to be 19 and suddenly your break has come and genuinely happened and, you know... Well, it was great. It was great. There. There, there was a sense that we'd, we'd landed something big here, that our lives had changed. We, we were aware of that on some, yeah. some elemental yeah. level. I mean, this wasn't a future shock for 2000 AD, you know, five pages yeah. where you might get another one in six yeah. months and so on. This was 100 pages, full colour. They said they were going to collect it as a book. They did, which was an incredibly um, useful portfolio of our work, yeah. in a way, for American publishers. And it did go on to, it did land on a couple of people's desks and and uh, get us both work later on. So there, we we were sort of aware that this is it. We've yeah. done it. That's such an amazing kind of first hit in, yeah. in, in, in that respect. How how soon was it after that that you were then, you know, working on Judge Dredd and and and, and Hellblazer uh, and things like that? And well, let me think. I mean, uh, that was that was January of eighty nine, and and the strip launched a couple of months after that. And I'm pretty sure uh, that it would have been a about a year to a year and a half after that. Yes, yes, summer in 1990. Yeah. Actually, it was where things really started to fall together. 
where um, DC were looking for someone to write Hellblazer. Yeah. And John Wagner was looking for someone to write, fill in for him on Dread. Yeah. Uh, and, and I got the job in both cases. Was there any element of having to force a level of professionalism to negotiate or get good? Because, again, I'd, I'd imagine if they call up and say, we'd like you to write Dread, it was you more kind of, sort of yep, you're I'll there already, yeah, r- yep. rather than so, where you have to say, oh, well, what's well, the fee? What's this? Like, well, yeah, I'm doing that. Well, hang on a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, not, not for one second. It was just, yes, I'll take that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with Dread, it was just a matter of John saying that he wanted me to do it. Amazing. With Hellblazer... Um, I think what happened was that Jamie Delano was getting ready to leave the book. Karen Berger was also getting ready to hand over to Stuart Moore mm. as editor. She commissioned fill in, uh, or, or one-off episodes by myself and John Smith and Mark Miller. And then she stepped down and said, here you go, Stuart, you decide. Um, so Stuart chose me and then I think he used John's as a fill in later. Yeah. Um, but you know, that, that I suppose was my break there. Yeah. So with DC, there was a little bit more of a process. Yeah. 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 Um, so again, I just need to highlight the beauty of the fact that, as you said, you may have previously caught your dad reading your Judge Dredd comic and things like that to then be working on it. Mm -hmm. That must've been an, an insane thing. Now, um, but Hellblazer, um, obviously, again, another classic, but one of the really exciting things there was that was where you were paired with Steve Dillon for the first time, right? Not quite. We'd done a couple of Judge Dreads. Right. But um, my Dread episodes were not good. Right. Um, Steve and I sort of clicked as friends before before we did as collaborators. He lived in Dublin at the time, although he's from Luton originally. Yeah. Uh, and I was still in Belfast, and we would regularly travel up and down on the train to see one another. And we, yeah, as I say, we really hit it off as friends. And and from that, we we discovered that we had some ideas in common about storytelling and the yeah. kind of stories uh, that that we'd like to see and we'd like to do. And then about halfway through my Hellblazer run. Steve came on as regular artist. I think he'd done a, he'd done a couple of fill-ins before. First couple of dozen Hellblazers I wrote weren't that good. Right. But the one that coincidentally Steve came in on as regular artist, and I didn't know he was going to be drawing it when I wrote it. Yeah. Um, something just clicked for me. I still think of that issue. Um somewhere in the early 50s or 60s, I think, Mm. um, as being where I really got to where I needed to get to. Yeah. Where the the work I'd been doing for the the three three years or so previous to that, which really wasn't up to par, uh, kind of of gave way to something just a little better. It worked. How how did that feel to be um, a young writer? You've got a gig on, on Dread and on Hellblazer, some classic comments that you would have dreamed to have, and for a long period, you're not f- necessarily feeling you're up to the task or doing a good I, job. Because, it's, again, it's a different thing from working on something that you may not respect or just be doing yeah. a gig. You're, you've finally got this big break, 
And if you're not happy with your work, that must have been a tough thing to well, to it, compute. This is largely with hindsight. Right, yeah. Because at the time, I thought I was doing a good enough job. I, right. I realized pretty soon afterwards that I wasn't. Um, that's why I'm, I'm pointing up this, this particular issue of Hellblazer. It's a turning point. Where I wouldn't necessarily have said at the time, aha, I'm, now I'm doing it right. Yeah. It There was a lot of groping in the dark, and it was more ah, I've just hit on something. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I think I need to explore it further. I think I need to go further down this this particular road. And I don't know, maybe it was just because it was his first regular issue or because he liked something in the script, but Steve seemed particularly inspired by it and did a very nice job. And it was then after that, sort of distant sound of something going click that that I proceeded, I think, in much more confident fashion. I'm still not crazy about the second half of the Hellblazer run, yeah. but it's streets ahead of what, it, uh, of what had preceded yeah. it. So there was... It was that turning point that happened to be also a connection point work-wise with Steve, Um you then went on, obviously, to work together on Preacher, which mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is, you know, so praised. So it's won m- m- many awards. Was that 98, I think, 98, 99, was it? That- um, let me think. Uh, we finished Hellblazer in the summer of 94. Yeah. And Preacher launched in February of 95. Oh, I know really? this because I've been thinking about it a lot recently, yeah, you know, of course. In, in light of events and just figuring out when each thing yeah. happened. And I suppose it then ran until the summer of 2000. Yeah. Um so when we were when we were finishing Hellblazer, it it had gone over very well. That that half of the run had really yeah. picked up. And people had responded to it, and DC said, and this was the way you did it at the time, really. You know, if you if you managed to do something special with one of their characters, it was like, well, we'll take whatever you've got. Yeah, we'll take something of yours, some creator-owned project. And Preacher was what I came up with, um, largely on instinct. Yeah, it needs this, and it needs that, and it needs this, and now it's time to do this part. It did Amazing. not appear in my mind as a coherent whole. Yeah. I was quite far down the line before the, the title occurred to me. Oh, really? Before the characters solidified as who they were, before I realized, ah, Cassidy's Irish, yeah. for instance. Yeah. Um, so it was largely done on instinct. It wasn't carefully planned out. I mean, apart from anything else, just didn't know it was going to take off the way it did. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the... Initial seals weren't bad, but they weren't what it would get to. Yeah. So, 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 how was it when it did start to pick up and start to, I guess, have that that expectation on? Because again, it's it's got to be a world of difference from writing an established title, yeah. having that pressure, but then to something that you've created that midway through really is suddenly an established title. You know, yeah. it's, it's it, you're there from the start on that journey rather than coming yes. in when it's already. It's Good more God, of, the following. It's more cross your fingers, step into the dark, hope yeah. for the best. Yeah. That first year, it bumbled along okay. It had a certain reputation within the industry. You know, people saying, can't believe you're able to do this. Yeah. It, it had its audience, but that audience was doing what audiences do 
most of the time for comic books, which is steadily declining. Right. And then towards the end of that year, there was a bit of a kerfuffle. And this coincided, I think, with not the beginning, but the early stages of the internet when um, you had CompuServe and things like yeah. that. And it was that bit easier for word of mouth to do its job. Yeah. I was largely unaware of this and, until a couple of months afterwards, but there was some sort of kerfuffle where people started, some people started complaining uh, about the material. Right. In Preacher, other people fiercely defended it. Yeah. And because of this, a lot of other people said, what is this? And they took a look. Yeah. And enough of them liked what they saw that by the start of the second year of the book, we were in a much stronger place. Yeah. And there was a there was a real sense of of this thing working yeah. and of it surviving and of, of being able to plan ahead and tell the whole story. And it feels the nature of it being such an organic growth in that way of people arguing, defending, whatever, must have given you the confidence to go, right, we can do what we want with this. This is ours. This isn't – this has it's, – it's, it's grown completely naturally because of our vision rather than anything else, rather than the marketing, the style, this or that. It's, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So give you that freedom to just go, right, we can go as dark, as weird, as odd – and and, yeah. and 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 you did you did so we, you know. we did we did it's <laughs> it's important to emphasize that you know our creative instincts were backed up by seals yeah without that yeah you know we'd have been one more vertigo failure really yeah. dying yeah, sure. halfway through the completely halfway through the second year uh, but it stuck and then there was a sense of of well this seems to work because of the weird paths that it takes. Yeah. So let's carry on down the weirder yeah. paths. Let's and, see where we go. And it worked. Yeah. Uh, to my amazement, I, my answer at the time, whenever people said, were you surprised by its success? I would always say no, because I can see why people like it. Yeah. But I was always quick to emphasize that had it failed, I wouldn't have been wouldn't remotely have been surprised, surprised either. either. Yeah. 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 I would have just thought this is too much to ask people to accept. It's yeah. too weird. It's too far into the dark recesses of my imagination. Yeah. Too bad. Try again. Again, it's it's a completely and again too many people sh- shy away from this, but it's completely reasonable when there's something that you're putting your everything into to not only hope but expect it to do work. But then if it doesn't, again, as you said, it's it's go. It's a very a unique vision mm-hmm. and unique style, but yeah, it's completely reasonable to say, no, I, I get it. I get, I'm, you know, I'm, I see why people are enjoying it. That's why I'm enjoying it. That's why I'm pursuing it and persisting right. with it, you know? Right. I mean, there, there have been many books of, uh, uh equal or greater quality that have foundered on the rocks yeah. in the first sure. year, first year and a half, because they just didn't find that, that right crowd. That right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, whatever it was that was waiting for Preacher just just wasn't there for them. And that's often as much a question of good fortune as it is yeah. anything else. It was the right time. So so we're gonna, I'll, I'm going to jump around a lot sure, in this. Sure. But as we were on Preacher, there's probably a lot you can't talk about, I'll say. But mm-hmm. I remember the disappointment of there was all rumour of a film being made mm-hmm. and then the disappointment when that wasn't happening. And then the sheer joy 
at the film not happening when it came to light that a series was going to... Because, again, that feels far more the the, the right setting for Preacher for me. Hadn't occurred to me at all because you didn't see that as an option at that Mm -hmm. point, I guess. But so how how has that been over the years? First of all, the kind of the possibility of, of, of cinema... Yeah. engagement and then you know where we are now with i think in great hands with seth and evan right. um instantly as soon as they started to release the cast in a, a joseph gilgan right. as cassidy is just so amazing and yeah. in my mind it was michael smiley all along but then as soon as gilgan i was like you've not you've 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 pulled that out of nowhere yeah. and it feels perfect so so yes so i've, I've asked about eight sure, questions there sure. so go ahead and take well, your this, time <laughs> this nicely illustrates the point that um you know, unless unless you find that moment, you find yeah. the crowd, you're gonna fail. And yeah. preacher did. Yeah. Uh, in 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 terms of film, uh, for years it failed and it failed. Um, yeah. We started out almost immediately with some interest. Uh, there was going to be a film directed by Rachel Talalay of Tank Girl. Yeah. Uh, Steve and I actually came up with a story and I, I wrote a screenplay for that. Um, and they, Rachel and, and her, her team sort of persisted in trying to come up with the funding for years and could never quite do it. And it was kind of a dead end. And uh, about 15 years ago, I kind of insisted on taking it away from them. And... Um, uh, my my lawyer dash agent uh, Ken Levin, uh, one of the best things ever to happen to my career, started yeah. shopping it around in Hollywood, and then yeah. it became not so much a question of getting it under the right noses as the time, the right time. Yeah. So, uh, in terms of selling the option, <laughs> we had no trouble at all. We, yeah. we did very nicely in terms of getting it made. Not so much. So, for instance, um, there was going to be an HBO series. Yeah. And that went a certain distance down the road, and then that fell to bits, and that was replaced by the um, uh, the Sam Mendes-directed movie. Yeah. Um, I met Sam Mendes. Again, each of these, as they're coming along, you think, this sounds perfect, this, this sounds, sounds perfect. perfect. And yeah. then, yeah. Um, he, he was extremely confident when I talked to him. Um uh, he he had big plans, uh, misplaced confidence as it turns out. But on right. the other hand, we then got Skyfall, which which I loved. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad he went yeah. off down that road instead. He commissioned a screenplay by a guy called John August, which was a very well written screenplay that effectively proved it couldn't be done. Right, that the the thing was too big, and that by by shoehorning all of Preacher into a two, two and a half hour story, yeah. you were simply going to overload and, it. And John August is, again, a master at, at, at yep. these things. So, yep. yeah. Um, then there was another movie attempt, and the chap who directed The Salton Sea was attached to it. Right, yeah. That didn't work out. And then uh, at some point, during all of this, Seth Rogen, so goes the story, had been in someone's office and there'd been a copy of one of the trade paperbacks on on this guy's desk. Yeah. And he said, do you have that? And the guy said, we're trying to get it. And he said, well, if you ever get that, call me, because that's my favourite comic of all yeah. time. And the time came that it went to AMC and 
somebody called Seth. I may be getting this slightly yeah, 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 out, of, yeah, yeah. out of sequence here, but Seth remembered, and he and his writing partner, Evan Goldberg, uh, they stepped forward and said, yeah, we're, we're still up for it. We still want to do yeah. it. And that got us to where we are now. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing and exciting and all all on its way. What's your uh, what level of 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 involvement do you kind of uh, get to have at this stage? I am not that involved. I'm, I I would say this, I'm as involved as suits me. Yeah. Um that's perfect. I, Again, if you've uh, yeah. the ideal situation there is if you've got people who are experts in that area and you yeah. trust yeah. to be able to go right, you know you know what you're doing here. I know what I'm doing here, but you know what you're doing there, and you can kind of yeah. have sit back in that respect. I mean, they they showed me their first outline. I liked it. Yeah, made some notes. Um, they then wrote a screenplay or, or a script which addressed those notes. Yeah, same thing uh, at, at each draft and at each kind of cut of the pilot. Yeah, they've they've listened to what I've had to say and, and addressed the the notes as I say. Um, so it's very much me commenting on what someone else has done. Yeah, yeah. And I'm more than comfortable with that right now because, uh, well, a couple of reasons. One is I'm very happy writing comics and telling new stories. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that I want to to be involved from start to finish in a massive several-year yeah. undertaking yeah, 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 to tell course. a story I've already told. Yeah. Um, I'm terribly fond of Preacher. It's always going to be one of my favorites. It's 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 going to be in my top ten yeah. of, of things I've created. But it's also twenty years old. Yeah, and it's not something I want to necessarily spend years telling all over no, again. I, I, I get that completely. You've got the 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 beautiful option out of of watching it grow. Yeah. and go off and have its own life as as, yeah. as such. But you don't have to have to wipe its bum and change its exactly. nappies anymore because you've done that exactly and the other reason is that, that that if i am to do work of that nature there are other things i'd rather do yeah if some dominoes now start falling and some of my more recent uh characters and stories get picked up yeah that might suit me a good deal yeah. more but for the minute i am very happy uh for seth and evan to take this and run with it because i i've seen the pilot and i think they've done a terrific job when this is going to sound like an odd question, but it's something I've I've I've, I've thought about recently, and it, it came to mind when you mentioned uh, the realization that Cassidy's are from Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know every character's voice? Have you got vo- voices in your head as you're writing <laughs> these people? And then when you then then watch them come on through the series, you're like, "This is weird," because that's not. I, that's I, not what he sounds like. That's, I that's tend <laughs> to um, I tend to have that for every character I write. Yeah. You know, voices in my head, as yeah. it were. Um, I, I can tell you that that I think that Joe Gilgan and Dominic Cooper, in particular, have absolutely nailed yeah. their roles yeah. um, in, in in interestingly different ways because I met them both and talked to them and I realized that that for Joe Gilgan it was a matter of sort of being a bit like that anyway yeah yeah um whereas for Dominic you know who is obviously not from from Texas and yeah. and is not you know <laughs> a preacher by trade yeah. it was more of a matter of finding his way to the role, yeah. you know, using his skill as an actor to do it. Um, the end results in both cases have been perfect. 
Fantastic. Yeah. I can't, I, I, I can't wait to see that. But mm. anyway, let's again, continuing on. So, uh, after preacher, um, I'd imagine you not had a, an, 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 an open book, but you know, you had a lot of options to, to go with stuff that you created and, and Hitman right. was one that came That's along, right. which I was a big yeah. fan of as well. Yeah. Um, it felt you had the freedom to be as 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 harsh or as as dark or as gruesome as you wanted to be mm-hmm. with that. So how was that kind of openness? Well, it, you know, success is its own reward. Yeah. This has worked, so have another go and have another go and see if you can do this for us again. Yeah. Um, series that come to mind, Unknown Soldier, which I did for DC, that did yep. very well. Um Pride and Joy at the time. Yep. Hitman is the most obvious one. Yeah. That was, okay, take this character that you created in the DC universe, give him his own series, and let's see what you can do with him. Yeah. And it, it it's weird and it's dark, like Preacher, but I, yeah. think it's, I think it's a different kind of weird and dark. Yep, I'd agree. Um, it's more whimsical. Yep. Um, it's much more British in a way. It's much more directly influenced by the likes of 2000 AD, by that uh, Wagner-Grant-Mills model. Um, It's heavily influenced by a lot of the stuff I read as a kid where, uh, and this is very true, uh, this is true of Battle in particular, where you, you have a bunch of characters established and then you knock them off one yeah. at a time. Yeah. And there's a real sense of fate catching up with men yeah. who have been getting away with it. And again, the excitement there of the fact that it is, it, and it's a rarity in many series, that anyone could die in this episode. That's right. There's, there's not this, they're always going to find a way out at the end. It's like That's this is, right. anyone could go here. There was a, I remember that there were a few people who were saying to me, Sort of, sort of in the last two years of the book, that they, they kind of realised, and they said they're all going to die, aren't they? Yeah. And I said, well, keep reading. But of course, they were absolutely right. I mean, if that ever was turned into anything, it'd be a casting director's dream because they're, they're <laughs> casting a new cast every week or two, really, because they're gradually all being killed off. Right? Well, of course, you know, if you were going to, if you were going to turn that into a series, it would really probably conform to the rules of television, where yeah. it keeps going as long as it has to, and yeah. people don't die. Yeah, 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 of course. Um, I mean, it, it's very rare that even in a last episode of a TV show, you'll see characters get their comeuppance because everyone's thinking, maybe one day we bring we're them not, back. We're not bring them back, yeah. Uh, it's one of the reasons I was so impressed by The Shield. Yeah, I love The Shield. That's one of my, my favourite yes. series. I've, I'm just working on, um, I've got my first TV role, and it's with... Kurt Sutter and Paris Barkley, who oh. did The Shield and then Sons of Anarchy. And Beautiful. Again, yeah. The Shield... I think is is one of the most underrated. Despite how praised it was, I think for me it's as good as the wire. And just again, yep. the beauty, the the because over here, and I'm nerding out a bit here because over here it started on Channel Five, mm-hmm. and at that point people didn't really respect anything on right. Channel Five. So because it was quite hard hitting, I think people wrote it off as oh, it's a, sh- a shocking cop show. Yeah, but the writing and the twists and turns oh, and that, the way they could there could be no way out, and you think how are they going to resolve this? before the end of the series, and then before the end of that episode, it's resolved, because yes. they're just so 
Yeah, yes, intricate it, in it. It it was brilliant. I mean, I would put it up where up there with the Sopranos yeah. and The Wire as the three great American crime dramas yeah. of the modern TV Completely age. Agree. I mean, I think they the three of those tar above yeah. the rest, and certainly in that genre in particular. Um, yes, you're right. The way in which fate was portrayed as being inescapable for these men. Yeah. And, you know, it it was one thing they did yeah. and everything followed from that. And and to have the courage to go as far as they did yeah. uh, and take those characters to their logical conclusion, very final conclusions in a, in a couple of cases, I thought showed great courage. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Um, again, not to give any spoilers, but there are certain points where you are, it's genuinely like, oh, shh. Shit, yeah, they've they actually it. they've done that. They've, <laughs> yeah. that it, it's been leading to that a lot, but they've actually. I didn't think that was ever going. Even though they've been suggesting it for two that's series right. or whatever, you're like, oh wow, that's still a surprise. Yeah, yeah, uh, he's gone, and there's that gap now, and he yeah. won't be coming back. Yeah, you know, amazing. Um, so kind of the reverse then of 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 starting on 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 of doing things like Dread, Dread and Hellblazer, and then mm-hmm. having finding that spot in Hellblazer and that darkness to run to then create something like like Preacher, mm-hmm. Hitman, I feel, was, I'd imagine, completely inadvertently unaware at the time, the perfect setup for your 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 Punisher run. The the Punisher Max run is, for me, is the, my definitive a Punisher. Mm. I felt it was perfect. But it's so obvious when you've, you've seen like something like Hitman mm. that's so dark and so... Um, so many demons it's like that's 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 frank castle this is again obviously a very yeah. different character but that can translate it's over that perfectly world. yeah it's it's definitely that world um when i started writing the punisher i didn't take it terribly seriously which yeah. is why that first series you can almost hear the uh, uh the merry melodies theme tune yeah. in the background yeah, for yeah, a lot yeah. of it you know there, there's a lot of silliness in that yeah and i was happy to sort of bumble along like that with the punisher um Although the series did last longer than it should have. Right. Um, there were a couple of things I was asked to do and I did kind of as favours to people and yeah. it, it prolonged the series. But what really motivated me to start thinking about the Max run and doing a different kind of Punisher story where yeah. the character is the same but the world fits him. Yes, was really what happened on September the 11th. Right. Uh, now, that doesn't mean I had the idea instantly yeah. there and then. I, I simply started thinking about what had happened that day and what it said about the world. About a different world, about a different yeah. place we're living in. Um, I, I remember thinking that day, the sun, this is, this is something I have a specific memory of, thinking the sun comes up tomorrow on a different world. Mm. Uh, that sounds very dramatic. Certainly the American government did go on to use what had happened as the basis for some very ill-considered decisions. Yeah. But what it had also done was it had, opened, it had opened the eyes of a lot of people in the West and in America in particular to the idea of just how bad the world can be, Yeah. even on one day. Um, and what happens to a lot of people around the world, like the person you were talking about from the Congo, yeah. Uh, what is their almost their daily diet yeah. and what we in the West are shielded from suddenly suddenly came crashing down in, in one, you know, God almighty catastrophe and opened people's eyes to the worst in life in the most awful way. And that was what I wanted to explore, not 
not the specifics yeah. of 9-11 and what had led to it, but, but the what it told you about worst. the world. And, and how was that f- 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 for you then? Because in the past, although slightly detached from it, you had seen how the world could be, again, gr- 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 growing up in Northern Ireland during these things and seeing mm-hmm. how, how, how dark things can get. Again, as we said, it's it's so easy to become removed from these things. Mm-hmm. I, I guess what I'm getting at there is, I think the, the internet is an, another one that people say, "Oh, the internet has 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 made people so rude." And so it's like, no, it's allowed us to see that there are rude people and that mm-hmm. there are and uh, th- things like nine eleven, as you said, were exactly that. It was a reality that was already there, mm-hmm. but we were kind of turned away from it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, did how yeah. Well, for, for me, you know, I mean, you, you mentioned Northern Ireland, and again, that's that's something that I'm on the edge of, and my yeah. awareness of that really is, you know, goodness me, people people will live with some awful things. Yeah. You know, they'll find a way to live alongside some yeah, dreadful yeah, things. Sure. This was more, as I say, a massive catastrophe just coming down by, in, one, in yeah. one go. In fact, I, I think, and this is... Speaking broadly here, you, you had the death toll of the entire 30 years of the Troubles in Northern Ireland in one day Yeah, on 9-11. It's insane, isn't it? Um, what I was interested in exploring with The Punisher, I think, was that world where everyone's up to something. Yeah. No one can be trusted. Everyone's playing everybody else. Yeah. Um, and that was what really informed that, that Max run. I mean, it's not without humour. But at the same time, there's a reason it starts at the ass end of the Vietnam War yeah. with things that they're, you know, they're most appalling. Yeah. And Frank up to his neck in blood. Yeah. And slowly understanding that some of it may be his own doing. Yeah. Mm. I mean, with with um, uh, with things like just since it comes around, with as I said, it coming at the end of the Vietnam War with things like. A, Punisher Warzone and with F- Fury as well. Mm-hmm. You've got a love of 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 of, of the history of mm-hmm. war, um, mm-hmm. and those were books I think that I really I came across. And also in parts in the in the Butcher Baker spin-off part of um, right. of the Boys, which we're going to get to. We're almost an hour in, and I've not even said yet that the the, the <laughs> Boys is my favourite comic book oh, of all time. So cool. we will get to that in detail. But mm-hmm. so. How exciting was that? Did that come from your early comic book reading of of, of war zone comics, of wartime comics, I, I or was think there always so. an interest in the history there? I, I think it's very much from reading war comics as a kid, yeah, and then later reading about the incidents and the people uh, that those comics touched on, and realizing that even allowing for the hyperbole of fiction, yeah, and that's important to stress that, yeah, these were based on reality. Again, nope. again, it's another thing I, I thought in, in Fury in particular and in, 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 in numerous different ones where you've touched on war, there's elements of history lesson of lesson mm-hmm. in a fictional story. Mm-hmm. It's kind of this is, you know, you know this, this, this death count is real or yes. this attack, this, this incident is real. This story is Nick Fury or, mm-hmm. or, or Frank Castle or, or whoever else. But, you know, there's, there, the there must be an is... excitement there to weave in that. Very, very much so, um, just because, apart from anything else, I, I find reality uh, and the extremes of the human experience uh, so much more interesting than anything fantasy can offer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to 
to give you an example, I, I just talked about finding out that the basis for the stories I was reading was real. No one's ever gonna, no kid is ever gonna put down his Batman or Green Lantern or X-Men comic, pick up a book or, or turn on the TV and find out, oh, it's actually real. Yeah. That will never happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I When I did a bit of reading... Uh, and became interested in military history, which um, is an interest that survives to this day, I found out that, yes, these things happened, these battles happened. Men got into these tanks and into these airplanes and they picked up these rifles and they went up those hills and went up those beaches and yeah. across those rivers, and this was all so terribly real for them. Yeah. And to be able to write about that as I, as I can now is enormously rewarding. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll go on to boys now. In mm-hmm. I think it was around 2008 or 2009, I was talking with... I started to work with, with Titan, um, mm-hmm. and I was putting out... I'd been asked for years to do a book of my poetry. Mm-hmm. I've always been uncomfortable with the term poetry because I didn't learn poetry at school. I've not been taught poetry. I've not, not read much poetry. So mm-hmm. I always felt it would be arrogant of me to put out a book of my poems when I don't read many books of poems. So mm-hmm. I've not read many but you should read mine. So I decided to work with a load of different artists and release a graphic novel of poems. So I got different artists to illustrate a poem each, mm-hmm. telling each of these stories. And I was putting it out with Titan. Um, and on one of the days in their offices, um, a guy there, David, asked him to recommend some stuff. And he gave me the first two or three um, collections of, of, of the boys mm-hmm. and was just absolutely hooked and addicted from then on so mm-hmm. so how did that come about and how uh, where does that uh, 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 that rank i guess in your in 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 your pride like you said how preach will always be there in your so top the boys yeah you know i couldn't choose between them yeah um and i'd have to add hitman to the yeah. three yeah. you know the boys came about because i suppose i suppose it was my turn to answer the question what would superheroes be like in the real world yeah and I thought I could I could get a new ongoing book out of that, and I and I felt like it was time for that. I was ready to do that yeah. again, tell a long story. Um, and my answer to the question, "What would they be like in the real world?" was somewhere between politicians and rock stars, yeah. in that they would have a direct effect on our world. Yeah, but they would behave like mega personalities yeah, like yeah. stars and behind all that and this applies to both you know enter- the entertainment industry and politics yeah. would be the worst human behavior imaginable yeah um most superhero comics revolve around someone who says i will use this power to help mankind or i will use this part to dominate the world lead a criminal gang take over everything yeah no one ever says i'm just going to use it for me yeah I'm going to use it to have the most enjoyable life that I possibly can. And I don't care if I wreck a few other people's lives while I do it. Um, At the same time as this, of course, government and corporations would both take an interest because here is a source of power and it can be used to generate money and it can be used to have an effect on the world. Um, So one corporation is going to snatch up superheroes and attempt to weaponize them. Other corporations, realizing that these guys, in the book, Vought American, have cornered the market, are going to say, well, hang on a minute. 
you're not selling those to the defense industry because you're going to put us out of business. Yeah. So we're going to undermine you yeah. every step of the way. And the government saying, well, we can't control this, but we can damn sure keep an eye on it. Yeah. And that, of course, that last bit is where the boys come in. Again, I mean, the beauty there of the realisation that in and because again it's been touched upon in comic books in the past that if there were superpowers then certain nations would feel certain claims over it. Mm-hmm. The realization that no, it's the corporations that are yeah. running this world. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not a case of oh America goes there are superheroes. It's like no, if the, if that company happens to be in America, there then that company's yeah yeah um, yeah. There's also that arrogance, uh, and this is why I was. This is why there's there's a sort of a shadow history running through the boys of, uh, you know, the, the gruesome mistakes of the CIA uh, tangled up with superhero history. Uh, Much of that is drawn from real life. Um, The birth of the CIA, where you have this, uh, this bunch of um, Ivy league, very arrogant, um, waspish Americans who decide, ah, you know, after World War Two, we're in the driving seat yeah, now, and yeah. we're going to run things, and we're gonna we're gonna make it work right the way the old empires screwed it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and what they don't realize is that they're up against, particularly in the case of Soviet Russia, one of the oldest espionage machines in the world. Yeah. There are centuries of experience there, and it doesn't matter whether that experience was was garnered under the Tsar or under Lenin and Stalin. Yeah, it's still there to be yeah. drawn on, and this is what. This is what our chums and uh, in the CIA are going up against, and things go horribly, horribly yeah. wrong. And by throwing superheroes into the mix, I was I was able to, I think, come up with an interesting, as I say, shadow history to go along with Again, the story. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The, the beauty there is you get to in a completely, thankfully, clearly. F- fictional world and situation Mm. you get to use all these relationships of different countries and Mm -hmm. and and secrets and lies and smoke and mirrors within that world that that arrogance that makes uh makes some preppy kid just out of harvard think that he can run some third world dictator and he has no idea that He's trying to run a monster. Yeah. And yeah. that it's that kind of arrogance that makes someone like Mallory yeah. look at someone like Butcher and think, I can run this guy. Yeah. He's just what I need. And not realizing that he has the most dangerous man in the world. Yeah. Uh, who's not only lethal, but is also incredibly intelligent. Yeah. And Mallory's just enabled him. Yeah. Of course, he realizes far too late. And again, the beauty there of, of, of the intelligence being hidden behind a working class um, appearance, accent, mm. style, and everything. Again, it's, it's it's the simplest of things there of the assumption. And when you first meet Butcher, you assume he's this this meathead of a guy. Mm-hmm. And then as the stories go on, you're like, right, no, he yeah. he is also this meathead of a guy, but he's but he's got this. There's so much it. to him. Yeah. Yes, he, he had a hard start in life. It made him cynical. It gave him it gave him the impression that. A good place to start if you want to read a person yeah. is to just assume the worst. Yeah. And from then on, to, to, to gain this kind of grim insight into people and to figure out how to play them and use them and work them. Yeah. Uh that and, and that's coupled with that's coupled with a sort of a <laughs> a long running amusement. Uh 
at the human race. Um, at one point, you know, when things are, are at his wor- are at their worst for Butcher, Mallory gives him a chance to walk into a house uh, full of superheroes with an assault rifle and kill them all, which Butcher quickly realizes is just a test. Yeah, and he does it. And he says, thanks, I think I've got my sense of humour back. Well, that's very important because <laughs> yeah. Butcher is a man who's who's simply amused by life. Yeah. There is very little that doesn't make him laugh yeah. Yeah. about people. You know, it's it's life's rich pageant seen through a very dark lens. Yeah, I, th- I think that... that, that- that must have been essential in your thinking there as well on building these characters because the fact is the, the superheroes who are essentially the villains do truly horrendous things. Mm. But our heroes, the boys, mm-hmm. also do pretty fucking yes, horrific do. things. So yes, it's kind of, it was, again, it was a, I don't know, I guess I just hadn't really s- seen that before where I, I, I don't know if it's because of the arrogance of the way the villains are doing their horrific things, you then can accept and be on board cheering mm-hmm. when other horrific things are being uh, mm-hmm. enacted back. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that comes from the kind of material I grew up on, you, you know, the, the kind of uh, very, very grim uh, world at its worst fiction of the 70s, which, you know, did find its way down to comic books and yeah. in, um, uh, in the case of, well, most obviously of action yeah. Um, but yes, uh, people, people, I suppose, trot out cliches about fighting fire with fire. You know, that would be what Mallory might say if anyone yeah. asked him why he recruited Butcher. But what he doesn't realize is, again, is that the fire he's chosen is an inferno. Yeah. And it will eventually burn us all. Yeah. But Mallory realizes that far too late. Yeah. So... W- how soon are we going to see a boys series come on? Is you know, it's, it's got to be. <laughs> well, I mentioned earlier that uh, you know, preacher might cause a number of dominoes yeah. to fall, yeah. and that one is nearer toppling yeah. than the rest. However, look at what happened with preacher. Look at the you know the long trail of yeah. failures that we had to go down yeah. before we got yeah. this one success. So. As I always say, don't hold your breath. Yeah. But yeah, that one's pretty near. It the feels top of the like list. again the most natural, other than preach, the most natural to go. Mm-hmm. Right, that 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 works, and just being at a point now in in TV that it could be made yes. with Netflix, with HBO, yes. with whatever else. That we're at a point where that's that's a viable thing. It's not. I don't want that to be made because I'd have to make it shit. Basically, right. they'd have to water it down so much. We're now at a point where no, yeah, that could. That's that could right. happen. That's right. It's a question of the timing. I mean, for Preacher, for instance, it became obvious that um, The Walking Dead yeah. kicked a number of doors down. Yeah. And one of the most, I mean, it sheer, just by its sheer success, but an important one, an important door that it knocked down for Preacher was the idea of an adaptation of a comic book that had nothing to do with superheroes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very important. Yeah, um, because. There's a lot of talk nowadays about superheroes taking over Hollywood and, you know, much of it not unwarranted. Um, but for us to be able to do something that, that is separate from that and doesn't yeah. rely on that, yeah, uh, I think is hugely important. Now, now, with the boys, the interesting thing is that those superhero movies that we've seen for the past 10 or 15 years have, in a way, educated the public 
to yeah. all these different superheroes. So if you were to be watching a TV show where thinly disguised versions of those heroes were getting the shit knocked out of them on a weekly basis yeah. by, you know, these five thugs. Yeah. Well, it makes it so much easier yeah, yeah, because yeah. You, you don't have you don't have that old uh, problem where the audience is going. I have no idea who this character you is don't need or to who have he's meant to be. Peter Parker getting bitten by a spider again. Mm. You know, you, you know, you know, right? Yeah, that's that's he's a superhero. Not. That's yeah. fine. That's that's and fine. There's a guy with knives in his in his arms, and there's someone who's super strong, and their skin turns to steel. It's like everyone goes, "Oh, that's yeah, 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 yeah." yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, so, I mean, you touched on on the Walking Dead, and mm-hmm. there's parallels, obviously, that that, that were drawn there with another gr- a, a great run, um, Crossed. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that come about, and how was that? And again, it must have been it must have been born of a real awareness that there's now no boundaries. There's nothing, there's nowhere you can't go because, I mean, for people who don't know or haven't read it, Crossed. It's kind of a zombie. In it's kind of zombie in nature, but mm-hmm. but what happens is when they're infected, all they want to do is kill and fuck. Essentially, mm. um, you're talking about human evil, yeah, as as a, a weaponized virus. Now that's yeah. not necessarily what happened. You know, there there is no evidence that someone consciously did that. Yeah, but the virus in this case. Uh, doesn't turn you into a walking corpse. It yeah. turns you into a ravenous berserker, de- uh, determined uh, to to carry out nothing but mankind's basest, most disgusting instincts. Yeah, it came from. Um, it was a product of its time, uh, two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. Uh, second, uh, the second Bush term. Yeah. Um, Things seemed grim. America seemed less like America, and I was living there at the time. Yeah. Um, there was a sense that what had been lost wasn't coming back. Where it really crystallized for me was um, in uh, the Katrina disaster in yeah. New Orleans, where there was a real sense, uh, and it's funny to think, you know, it's this is 2015, we are now 10 years past that, um, there was a real sense of people being cast out into the storm and simply abandoned. Yeah. And you had the president overhead in his plane having a good old cackle about how he and his buddies used to whoop it up there at Mardi yeah. Gras. You know, that was his response. There was, as I say, a real sense of people simply being abandoned. No one would come and save you. Yeah. Um, you were on your own and... If you did run into anyone else, well, they might have not had your best interests at heart. It it was it was a ghastly time, and people responded. Some people responded so very poorly. I mean, I can I can still remember uh, Fox News talking about uh, making the distinction between black looters and white foragers. It it's was this crazy, kind of dis- this kind of disgusting shit. This kind of response. So that was a big part of it. There was also wanting to write a horror comic that would stick um, and that would be truly horrific. No teenage vampires. Nothing yeah. you can cuddle up yeah. to. Yeah, as a truly horrific. No, yeah, this Something isn't some that was just ghastly. Adorable villain. Where, yes, where you would, where you would realize almost immediately just how high the stakes were. Yeah. 
and why it would be better to put a gun in your mouth. Yeah, when I was going to say exactly that. How quickly you'd want to kill yourself yes. in that, rather than a rather is there a way out? Is it this? It'd be no. This is. I should try and fight. No, no, you shouldn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because there's you know in this world there's something far worse than death, and it's not just walking around as a you know as a, as an animated corpse. Um. Around about that time, and this is just filling in a little detail, I did have this odd dream where um, I was staying at a friend's house and the house was surrounded by a crowd of what it seemed in the dream were zombies. But when we looked closer, they were actually perfectly ordinary people. It's just that um, they were clearly evil beyond description and intent right. on doing the worst things. This was all fairly nebulous yeah. in the way that dreams are. And, and it was also one of those dreams where one minute you're in the action and the next you're observing it. Yeah. Um, uh, and it was really just, just that understanding that you had a crowd of people with the vilest intentions imaginable. I think yeah. that more than anything else informed crossed. Yeah. And that, I suppose, you, you know, those are the elements that fed into, into that first series. Yeah, you know I, yeah. what really helped, of course, was Avatar. Yeah, um, the publisher there, William Christensen, simply has no limits of his own, or if he has, uh, I've yet to They're discover yet to be them. Found. Yeah, um, certainly, you know, my own limits kick in a, a long time before William's. Yeah, um, so you know, creative freedom isn't isn't. There's no question isn't of sure it. At all there. Yeah, uh, you can just do whatever you want, go as far as you want. Uh, I should say that. Just about everyone who's written Crossed since has, in some way, gone further than I would have. Yeah. But, you know, that's probably just very much a question of, of point of view. Any one of those guys might say the same of me. We we talked, um, I can't remember if it was on the podcast or after the podcast, but I, I, I talked uh, uh, with Alan Moore at the end mm -hmm. of last year, and it was just as he was about to start mm -hmm. work on things, and he was saying how as soon as he got it, he was ridiculously excited. As soon as all oh, right, I see what's going on here. It's mm -hmm. kind of it. W w w when he briefly glanced over, he was like, "I don't really know. I don't know. Is this and, that. and as soon as he was like, "This is the most Alan Moore thing that could happen." <laughs> and, you know, this is perfect. You know. Yes, he he told me that um, uh, he'd had a look at it, got about two or three in. I, I don't want to say this is absolutely true, but I think what he said was. He got as far as the scene where they have to execute the cannibal kids. Yeah. And that was where he checked out because I think he recently become a grandfather. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you, you read something at a point in your life and you just think, Can't no. do this, yeah. And then when he told me that, you know, I, I would naturally be quite deferential to Alan. And I said, that's fine. You know, it's not for everyone. But William, who happened to be there too, and Jason Burroughs, the artist in Cross, they said, oh, no, you should read it. You should definitely read it. So Keep he going. did read on. Yeah, and that I guess is when it clicked yeah. for him in that way. I mean, there's there's two more things I want to just discuss quickly mm. before we move on. Um, how is it in America at the moment? How are you finding it out there? Because you've, you've you've lived there for a long time now. Mm -hmm. it, it it struck me as interesting that again, yeah, yeah, we're looking at, at ten years ago, everything that mm -hmm. was highlighted in Katrina. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's so much of it that's still v very evident and relevant and, and prevalent now with mm -hmm. the way people are treated, the the disparities in 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 the media perception yeah. of 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 different races of of as you said of, of looters or foragers of yeah. you know everything I, like that. So how is that? I think from that, your perspective at the moment, I think really the fact that there's a man in the White House now who 
for all his faults, seems to want to engage on those issues. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he recently visited a federal prison yeah. and talked about uh, how the three strikes you're outlaw yeah. really has to be gotten yeah. gotten rid of. Yeah. The fact that you've, you've got a man there who actually wants to talk about gun control yeah. uh, as a contrast with his predecessor, yeah. I, think, I think that's absolutely I've, huge. At the moment, I mean, you mentioned his, you know, his, whatever thoughts there may be. I'm at a point of, I think, having nothing, but it, it, it feels like I've suddenly just got Obama. I, mm-hmm. I know what's going on, because it feels to me he's now at the point where he's coming to the end of the term he mm-hmm. can have, and he's going out on a fireball with two fingers up in a Metallica T-shirt, you know, kind of yeah. going right. And, and again, it makes perfect sense, because the fact is, if he'd come straight in and tried to make these changes, there would be too much resistance. That's right. So he spent a certain amount of time being balanced and playing mm-hmm. the game and now he's at the point where it's like i don't give a shit now like mm-hmm. on, the, on, on the political side of it it's yes. like i can now start to make the changes gay marriage you know if, mm-hmm. if getting rid of the confederates flag just also right. talking about gun control as you said that's yes. a huge thing to even bring up to a discussion it really but, is but talk about it and get in it feels to have the man exciting. at the top able to say those things i think yeah. i think definitely uh, is one that that changes one's perception of these issues when you yeah. can compare him again with his predecessor, who, uh, I mean, frankly, for all the talk about the man being an idiot um, and, and very easily caricatured, and there's no question of it, I did it uh, in the boys. Yeah. Um, but but I think more than anything else, what what you were talking about with um, with uh, Bush too was a man who didn't care, a man who didn't engage. Yeah who knew he was going to get the job and then get out of the job and walk away without a second's thought, no matter what horrors he'd wrought. In in a real weird way, there's some similarity there to what you were saying about the butcher, of just of finding just it all quite a bit of a game and funny. And that's what the impression you, you got with Bush was like, mm. yeah, this is a bit of a... You know, harsh to say a laugh, but mm. kind of that he's kind of yeah. But you know, this you is know, all I, quite amusing to me. Oh, this is sad. This, but you know, it, yeah, it, not, it, it in, never felt like he was was losing sleep. It no. felt like he was quite comfortable. Go, yeah, that's another and another stuff, day in the top job. This stuff, you know, the media and so on. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah. But you know, one day I'm going to walk out of here and I'm not yeah. even going to look over my shoulder. Yeah, exactly, you know? I'm going to be done. Um, I, I saw him. I saw a piece on him a couple of years ago where he'd. He'd picked up some cause or other, obviously for the the purposes of of PR. It was it was something like uh, you, you know AIDS education in Africa, and he was interviewed along with his wife, and he started talking about it, and he just trailed off, and his wife had to finish his sentences for him. And I thought, there you go, George. You still don't really care. You just do can't you? be bothered. Just you, to, yeah. you don't engage. Oh, I'm done with this sentence. I think. Yeah. I yeah. Exactly. <laughs> mm, golf. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. So um, we're gonna. I'll, I'll wrap things up now, as we're an hour and uh, and twenty in. So you've given me a, a, a lot of your time. Yeah. Um, we've talked about. We touched on Alan Moore there a bit, and one of the things that I want the similarities here is the. Um, you're not. You don't appear to be that much of a an internet person or no, social I'm not. media there's no presence no. is that a conscious thing is it is it a dislike is it a distaste is it you know what um, or it, is there a, i want to be 
known for my work. I want to distance from Very that. Very much that. Yeah. Very much that. Um, I think the most important thing a writer does is write. Yeah. Um, turning yourself into into some kind of personality. Well, people have gone down that road. I understand it as a marketing tool. Yeah. Um, if you take Warren Ellis, for instance, yeah. I mean, he was he was one of the first guys to understand that. He yeah. was in there right at the beginning. Um, but I would argue that in his case and in many others, it became an end in itself. Yeah. And he became more interested in directly reaching people and getting an immediate response yeah. than he did in writing comic books. And that can affect everything. That I can warp so. everything, right? I think so. Um, and you have a generation of writers now who believe that that's the model, yeah. not to uh, find it more important than writing, but but to, to use it as a marketing tool to the point where... Uh, as soon as you put a book out, you are immediately putting out an annotation uh, showing page by page how, how clever you were, Yeah, things yeah. like that. I think that, useful as it may be, it is ultimately a distraction. Yeah. The writing's what counts. Yeah, uh, and that's what I. That's very much what I choose to focus on. Yeah, I think there's 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 a thing. I mean, I'm 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 always adamant, and I always try to be polite about it, but I will rarely. Discuss. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of social media. Again, I mm-hmm. think it's all individual. Size. I'll rarely discuss or explain any of my lyrics because mm-hmm. I feel it's not it's it's there for interpretation. Yes. Otherwise, um, what was the there's, point? There's a, a a Fernando a Pessoa quote where he just says, "To be understood is to is to prostitute oneself," and I feel that there's a level of that. It's mm-hmm. like it should be individual interpretation rather than that need to go. No, you've not understood that, right? Yeah. Here's here's what I meant by that. It's like well. If they're understanding it differently, that's that's your fault. If, mm-hmm. if you wanted them to understand it in particular, that mm-hmm. means you failed in your job. Therefore, just step back and yeah, and and leave it there as such. But I do think, yeah, there can be a tendency on social media to over-explain, to over, as you said, to show all your workings out. Yeah, you know, not only have I found the the answer, a book that you'll love and enjoy. Here's how clever I was to get to that exactly. point. Which exactly, yeah. and then you know, separately from that. Um, you simply take up so much time yeah. on social media that you're not working. Yeah. You're not writing. Yeah. And that's that's when you've failed, to yeah. my mind. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's I completely under, understand that. So yeah. Mm. Well, I'm I'm, I'm going to end it there. And yeah, just I thank you very much. Is is there, a, a, a would you like to talk about anything that's ahead or anything coming up that you want to um, mention or new? That's well, let me let me think there. now. Um, there's some things I I can't really talk about, but there in detail but there are going to be a couple of new horror series from avatar that are some of the most interesting things i've ever been involved with uh there's the ongoing war stories book there at avatar which i love yeah uh you know which is really uh probably my my favorite thing to write is war stories and now i can do it monthly yeah that's fantastic Um, on you know, and and on that subject, there's the new Johnny Red story from Titan, yeah, which is a dream come true. Where Keith Burns and I are reviving the oh, wow. old character from Battle, uh, so that'll be in November. Amazing! Again, it, it it must be exciting at this point in your career to still get those moments yeah. of goddamn, you yeah. know, like when that first time you've got this Judge Dread gig or or, or whatever mm-hmm. else to still go, man. I'm getting to yeah to work yeah. on this. It meant a lot. Yeah, it, it means a lot. It really does. Um, and beyond that, 
Oh, gosh. Oh, yes, there is one thing. There's, there's an oddball sort of romantic comedy called A Train Called Love, and that's going to be coming out from Dynamite in October. And that's an oddball one. Yeah. That's, that's an all-out comedy. Yeah, brilliant. Um, but that's, that's something a lot lighter than I've been doing recently and something I found hugely enjoyable. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I mean, I'm going to get the, um, the professional marketing hat on and say the good thing here is Avatar, Dynamite and Titan are all strong on social media, so you can keep up to date on those things, despite you obviously n- n- yeah. not using social media. You, you can keep up to date on all those books, on mm. all the availabilities and release dates by f- following Dynamite. Again, on, I, I know on Twitter that they're definitely all on there because yeah. I follow them all. So, yeah. yeah. So that's a good way to keep up to date. And thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your uh, uh, your trip before darting back to, to the US. Yeah, much appreciated. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. There you go. That was Garth Ennis. What a lovely dude. Um, it's a history lesson. It's a lesson in the stories behind a lot of my favourite books. Um, yeah, I loved it. I mean, I wasn't mad that I unexpectedly got the chance to, to nerd out about The Shield either. My One of my favourite TV shows ever. Um which is one of the reasons I was incredibly excited when I got the chance to be in uh, The Bastard Executioner, which is on TV in America now and should be in the UK at some point, which is the new series by Kurt Sutter and by Paris Barkley, who worked on The Shield, who created Sons of Anarchy. Um, Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was a good chat. And I felt pleased that we had a shared passion and excitement for that that's always nice when you're with someone who you respect and something that's completely off topic comes up and you're like yeah i'm I'm a nerd for that as well as a beautiful thing um yeah i hope you've all enjoyed this i'll be back next week as ever um oh in fact we've got a, a, a relevant guest next week i should mention this i hope you've not turned off i wonder if some of you have turned off i should stretch this out now because Often if you're, you're at the end of a podcast and you see there's like a minute left, you assume it's just going to be adverts in the ending. But if you're looking like, wow, there's like three minutes left, there must be something more important to come. So I'm going to stretch this out. But I guess, no, I guess next week, um, hopefully, hopefully, is Brett Goldstein and John Drever. Now, let me explain who these guys are if you don't know. They've done a film called Super Bob. It's a British superhero film and... It has been cleaning up with awards. It's it's hilarious. I went to the premiere um, or a preview like months and months ago, like beginning of the year. And the nature of independent uh, British cinema is these things are slow as fuck. So I went to the the premiere and I, I, I know Brett and John, we've done a series called Corner Boys, which is a little comedy thing we've done online. We've done th- three episodes that has also I, I can't remember if it won, but it was certainly up for a Virgin Media sh- short award. Um, but yeah, you know, that was, so I went in there kind of like, ah, oh, it'll be cool to see my mates doing this big feature film that they've been talking about for ages. That's a full, like proper feature film. It's not like your mates making a film. It's a proper f- full thing. It's got Catherine Tate in it. So, you know, proper. Um, 
and uh, so I went in kind of with that, like, oh, it's a mate's film, cool. And it was it's was straight away and remains one of my films of the year. It was fucking hilarious. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. Brett, you'll know him from Derek. He was the boyfriend in, in Derek. He's also in... Um, uh, what was it called? Undercover. He was fantastic in that. There's tons of things. He's done a lot of stuff with Brian Gittins online, some hilarious things. But yeah, it's really good. So I'm going to be talking to them about Super Bob and about all their other things. John, who directed, um, has just won an Emmy, I believe, I saw on Facebook. So he's doing all right for a documentary he made. So it's going to be a fascinating one. It'll be a real insight into the British independent film industry, the making of films, you know, the, 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 the film we did, the podcast we did with Paul from the Prince Charles uh, cinema was one of the most downloaded ones because it's just that kind of fascinating insight. It's going to be similar here. It's going to be some really interesting um, insights into the process and just talking a lot about Super Bob because it's fantastic. It's, it's absolutely hilarious. Um, yeah, that's what's next week's podcast. Um, I think I've extended this this long enough so people will actually tune in and pay attention, right? I should probably mention all the things again. So you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ScrubiusPipio. At, I, I feel bad saying this at the end of this podcast after Garth was like, yeah, you kind of just end up whoring yourself and craving fame and follows. But yeah, totally follow me for real. Um at Scroobius Pipio all over the place, facebook.com slash Scroobius Pip. But now at Distraction Cast on Twitter and facebook.com slash Distraction Pieces Podcast. Um, check us out there. Head to the YouTube page, uh, Distraction Pieces Podcast on YouTube. Um, we got tons of good stuff and, and, and bite size, shareable, likable, lovable highlights from previous episodes. And we're starting at the, be- at the beginning with these. So the good thing here is if you've been listening to all of them, you probably might not remember some of the highlights from the Simon Pegg one or the Russell Brand one or the, the Killer Mike one, or you might remember them but not can't be, really be bothered or have the time to go back and listen to the full podcast again. So that's kind of the beauty of that. Um, yeah. This has been the Distraction Pieces podcast with one of my favourite, favourite writers of all time. So thank you for tuning in. And I'll see you next week with John Drever. And Brett Goldstein, Super Bob special. Bye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.